Remember Dan Rather? Remember Dan Rather? Is he still around? Does he do anything? I think Dan, Dan Rather was the CBS Evening News guy for decades and decades. I think like he used uh, forged documents in a newscast or something like that, and he had to resign. But we're going to ignore that part of Dan Rather's career because I want to use him uh, as a positive example. Dan Rather, and, and to try to keep his professional purpose in mind, he kept a sign on the wall of his office and he kept the same saying in his wallet and it said, is what you are doing now helping the broadcast? Because while he was at work in his office, his purpose was to help put on a good newscast and so he wanted that question to always go through his mind, is what you're doing right now going to help put on a good broadcast? And the necessary follow-up is, if not, why are you doing it? Maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Well, regardless of our opinions of Dan Rather, we could learn a thing or two from that concept. Because according to our church's constitution, and this was here before my time, we're here for a purpose and this is it. This is the mission statement of our church. The Berean Church of Imperial exists to please God by examining the scriptures, equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. We exist to see God glorified, to please God. How are we going to do that? Well, we have to be biblical. We base everything we do on the scriptures. So we examine the scriptures to make sure what we're doing is biblical so that we can do these two things. Equip the saints. Saints is just a word for anybody who's already a Christian. And then evangelize the lost. Take the gospel to people who are not yet saints. That's, that's our purpose. And for what we do as a church, we can apply the Dan Rather test to it. We should be able to ask, why are we doing what we are doing? Because it's really possible and easy to get caught doing a lot of stuff that seems permissible or good or Christian or whatever, but if it doesn't fit with our purpose, we should ask ourselves, why are we doing, who is it encouraging? Who is it equipping? Who is it evangelizing? Will it lead to those things? I bring that up and we're going to come back to this, the Dan Rather test and our purpose as a church. We're going to come back to that through the sermon and it has something to do with the parable Jesus teaches today. In today's passage, here's where we're at in the book of Matthew. Jesus just got done explaining the parable of the sower and the soils, and he's going to continue with agricultural metaphors, and he's going to tell another parable. This one is about false teaching, false teachers, false righteousness, false gospels, showing up in and around churches. And he tells that story in this, the parable of the, the, weed, the wheat and the tares, traditionally it's called. We'd call it the parable of the weeds and the wheat. It's another split passage. Um, here's the way this goes down. Jesus teaches in the first few verses, he teaches this parable publicly. 
then he teaches a couple of other parables that we're going to, in verses 31 through 35, that's next week's sermon. Because then when Jesus and the disciples are alone, they ask him, hey, uh, will you run that one by us one more time? That whole weeds in the wheat thing. Can we talk about that? And Jesus gives a little fuller explanation. And we're going to take the parable, the public proclamation and the private explanation together. Let's read the passage. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. On the screen and in the pews is the New American Standard Bible. It reads this way. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds, tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up to pull the weeds? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skip down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And Jesus said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, those are the sons of the kingdom, and, and the, where, the tares, the weeds, are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now before we really dive in there, I want to remind you a parable is a made-up story that proves a real point. It's a made-up story that teaches a real lesson. Because it's a made-up story, it's okay that parables have things that happen in them that are fanciful, that couldn't really happen, that don't really happen. Um, Sometimes, well, I'll get to that next week. Sometimes Jesus teaches people in parable, the example person he's using, like, isn't even a good person. But it's a made-up story to prove a real point. And the reason I mention that is because there's some stuff that happens today that for us in agricultural America seems silly or even funny. It's funny to me. In this parable, here's what happened if you caught it as I was going through it. This landowner plants wheat. And shockingly, there are weeds in his field. And everybody's shocked by this. And the, 
The guys who work for him come in and blame him for weeds showing up. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Don't, know, don't you know how to buy seed? There's weeds out there. And his explanation is, it's not my fault. I know where those weeds came from. An enemy came and planted weed seed in my wheat field. That's why I have weeds. You know why I have weeds? Because an enemy planted them in there. Is that where weeds come from? For seven plus years, I've been driving by the fields of farmers in this congregation. And I had no idea you guys have so many enemies. You need, you need to start being nicer or something. Right? That's not where weeds come from. That's okay. It's a made-up story to prove a real point. And in this story about false teachers and false teaching popping up in and around the church at large and individual local bodies, there's four concepts that I think Jesus wants us to to catch from this. That weeds happen. Second, that weeds often look like wheat. Third, that Jesus will be the ultimate weed puller. And fourth, we need to be careful while we're being careful. That's where we're going today. Those four things, we're going to start with this first concept, which is simply put, weeds happen. It is not an accident that when Jesus wanted to teach about false teachers, false teaching, false spiritual growth, false gospels, uh, you know, people who think they're Christians but they're really not. When he wanted to teach about those things, the picture he uses is weeds coming up where we don't normally want weeds. Is there anything more inevitable in the world than weeds? Not much, not many. That's Jesus' point. That false stuff is going to happen in the church, in our church, in the church at large. I mean, someday there's going to be, like the biggest weed of all, there's going to be a false, not just a false Christian, a false Christ who's going to show up and people are going to believe he's the real Christ. We call him the Antichrist. That's a weed. Make no mistake, false stuff will show up in the church. It's as inevitable as weeds in your field or weeds in your garden. But here's another truth from Scripture. The devil, the one who plants the weeds in here, he cannot uproot a real Christian. Jesus said, if you have believed in him, You are placed in his hand. You are placed in the Father's hand. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. That's above Satan's pay grade. So here's what he does do. Because he can't destroy your eternity, here's what he does. And he's very active in doing this. He wants to plant as much that is false in and among what is true that you ingest. He's constantly planting. He is the master of at planting what is false in and among and around what is true. 
This is why, and I, I think, and I didn't do a careful study about this, so I hope I'm not planning what is false right now, but I think every book in the New Testament either mentions, shows a story of false teachers or mentions them or is written in direct response against false teaching. We're just told over and over and over and over, watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing, for false teachers, for the spirit of Antichrist, which is already in the world. Over and over and over. Watch out. Why? Because false teaching is inevitable. As inevitable as weeds. That's concept number one. The scary thing about that is concept number two. And that is that the weeds can look like the wheat. What is false can look like what is true. When Jesus... As Jesus tells the story, here's the story he tells. The wheat gets planted, it comes up, and there's a period of time where it looks like a great field of nothing but wheat until the wheat matures, till it grows. We would call it till it heads out. And then all of a sudden, people go, oh, wait a minute, that's not all wheat. There's weeds out there. This sounds like home to me. I grew up, most of my growing up anyway, was in north central Kansas, wheat country, and rye was the main, or one of the main weeds that was a problem for wheat farmers. And from the road, I mean, I'm sure some agronomist could go out there when that wheat is really young and tell the difference between wheat and rye, but they're both grass. And when they're young, they look like grass. But they grow, and all of a sudden, as they head out, the rye gets taller than the wheat and has just a little bit different looking head on it. Now, farmers would pay young people to walk through the wheat fields and pull rye. Anybody ever pull rye? Used to pay us to do that. If you ever have a chance to do that, don't. It's not much fun. But why, why did they wait? So for us, that was you know, early summer, late spring, early summer, the wheat's green, but it's headed out. Why did they wait so long? Some of the times we were late enough, whatever we trampled down didn't have time to even stand back up again. Why didn't the farmers send us out there in the fall when the wheat had just come up and it was only this high? Why didn't we go out there in October and trample, tramp around and pull the rye then? Answer? We couldn't tell the difference between the weeds and the wheat. We weren't agronomists. We were knuckleheads. We would have pulled up. We would have done more damage than we did good. That's why this is such an effective metaphor. Here's what Jesus is teaching. In the parable, the weeds are people and bad teaching. Again, false Christians. False teachers, false doctrine, a false gospel, false spiritual growth. And what Jesus is saying is we have to be real careful because Satan is the master of taking what is poisonous and making it look nutritious. Taking what is wrong and making it look right. Especially when it's new, when it's young, like that wheat and the rye out in the field. If the, if the truth, the scriptural truth dead on is straight down the center aisle, 
Satan is the master at taking something that looks like that and only changing it a few degrees. Just making it just slightly different. And if you walk those two lines, at first it seems like you're walking the same line. But the further and further you travel down that road, guess what happens? You get further and further away from the truth. And then all of a sudden you look around one day and think, how did I get way out here? Or you see a friend that gets stuck believing some stuff that's just out of line, literally. Satan is the master at at disguising the bad to seem good. I want to give you three examples of that. General. Weeds that look like wheat. Stuff that really does look Christian when it's not. The first one is legalism or self-righteousness. This looks, at, at times, it's indistinguishable from the wheat, but it is anti-gospel. In fact, when I am being legalistic, when I am being self-righteous, I usually can't ever tell myself. What am I I talking about? What's legalism or a legalist? A legalist, when I'm being legalistic, I'm being someone who thinks that I get better in a measurable, meaningful way before God because of my behavior, my willpower, my self-discipline. So I quit sinning, And I start doing good, and I make enough progress that what I have done on my own makes me closer to God in a meaningful way. Does that sound kind of Christian at least? Shouldn't we like stop sinning and start doing good stuff? The answer is yes. Why is that a weed and not wheat? Listen to what I'm saying. When I'm legalistic, what I think is what I do makes me better than people who are not doing what I do according to God. Like when God looks down, that what he sees about me is I am better than others who have different habits than me. That is anti-gospel. Because the gospel says... The only righteousness I have that makes any meaningful difference before a completely holy God is the righteousness He gave me when I believed on Jesus. He gave me a righteousness that blinds out any piddly little righteousness I can achieve on my own. Now, that still sounds kind of Christian, but here's why it's a weed. Here's why it's a weed. I'll have Paul tell us first. Paul wrote to the Romans about legalism, self-righteousness. It's righteousness I can do myself. Paul says this about legalists. This is Romans chapter 10. For I can testify that they are zealous for God. That sounds good. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. It's slanted, it's tilted just a bit. Why? Because ignoring the righteousness that comes from God 
and seeking instead to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here's why this is a very dangerous weed. It's a noxious weed. And we need to dig it out of our church and out of our lives carefully, as we'll see. Paul's talking about someone who's zealous for personal morality. I don't do all these bad things. I do all these good things. They're religious. They go to church. They serve. They volunteer. They teach. They whatever. But their mistake is they think their moral life is what makes them better. And they reject that idea that only Jesus' life makes me better. Makes me anything. And here's why that's a weed. Because of the harvest that comes from it. Wheat and rye look the same, but when it comes time for the harvest, one is worthless and one is just above worthless, right? Depending upon how grain prices are. But no, uh, it's better than worthless. It's great. Here's why I say this. Here's, here's our purpose. Brian Church of Imperial exists to please God by examining the scriptures. Why? So that we can equip people to evangelize the lost. That's our purpose. And when legalism and self-righteousness takes root in my life or in a church, that harvest does not happen. Nobody gets equipped for ministry. Nobody gets saved because you don't cuss anymore. Nobody looks at the blinding white light of how moral you are and thinks, I think I, I think I need to accept Jesus in my heart. That's not the way it works. Now, can God use the change in my life for the better? To have someone ask me, man, how come you don't do all the things you used to do? Well, let me tell you, I'm getting closer to the one who made me righteous. Absolutely he can do that. But what legalism and self-righteousness does, the harvest is my goodness, my superiority, always. And it feels better to feel better. The harvest that comes when self-righteousness and legalism takes hold in a church is not equipping saints to evangelize the lost. It is separation within a body. You think about this, you will think of churches you have been in, some of us. What starts to happen is you get the varsity Christians and the JV and the C team Christians and the varsity Christians who are really Christian and then you have the JV and C team who are, giant air quotes here, still stuck in sin. And, and the varsity Christians are very unapproachable by the JV and C team Christians because I'm not like them. And that's what the varsity Christians sort of like because it feels better to feel better. And that's the harvest, whether we know it or not, that we want in our self-righteousness. It's superiority. But it's anti-gospel because what we're supposed to be getting as as a harvest is everybody becoming more and more like Jesus. And when I am unapproachable to somebody still stuck in sin giant air quotes, the gospel really doesn't have an impact on that relationship 
Because I'm telling people, no, self-righteousness. If you want to get close to God, you've got to have the self-discipline I have. You've got to have the maturity. You've got to be like me to be in the inner circle. When Jesus came to step into the muck with sinners, not sin with them, but to save them where they are at. And there's another reason why this is a weed. I used cussing a minute ago. Praise God, I do not cuss like I used to cuss when I was a young man. Um, that did not make me measurably... As I get closer to Jesus, he took that out of my life. He's like, you know what? That's something that needs to be pruned from the vine here, Maxwell. That's not glorifying to me, and you exist to glorify me. So I pruned that out of my life. He pruned that out of my life. Praise God. Lost my train of thought talking about my own cussing there for a minute. Oh, thank you, Lord, for reillumining me. But as I get closer to Jesus, and I, I don't cuss anymore, I don't do this anymore, I don't do that anymore, I don't start to get pleased with where I'm at. All the, the, the white light of his holiness just starts to show me other stuff I'm still stuck in sin. It's just, it's pride, which by the way, is an abomination before the Lord. And there's nothing condemned worse in the scripture than an abomination to the Lord. And if you're self-focused, your behavior is abominable. My self-focus, my pride, my unforgiving heart, things like that, I'm still stuck in sin. And the reason we should be approachable to others just because their sins are different than mine, I'm not better in any measurable way when God is the standard of righteousness. Statistically insignificant is the difference between my righteousness and whoever's. So, that's a very, that's a very sneaky weed that can look very Christian. But it's anti-gospel. It doesn't give us the harvest we're looking for. Here's another one, though. On the other side of the pendulum, license, what is usually called license, the Bible calls it licentiousness sometimes. This is a life that's lived like this. Since I know that when Jesus went to the, the cross... He died for sins, and I'm a sinner. Since I know he can forgive sins, then I don't have to change anything. It's great. So I can live for whatever I want to live for. It's like the cross has given me a permit or a license to sin however I want to sin. Paul talked to the Romans about this person too. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be, is Paul's answer. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This can sound Christian too. I can talk about how much I'm forgiven for everything I'm chasing. Actively and purposefully. 
And whether or not that person is a real Christian, is really saved, is really going to heaven, is probably not what we should spend our time doing. You know what the problem with that is? There's no harvest that God wants from us because my purpose is to glorify God by encouraging other saints and, uh, and evangelizing the lost. And there is no harvest in a life of license. You know what the harvest is in a life of license? Exactly what I'm planting and chasing. More booze, more sex, more uh, materialism, more money, whatever it is. That's the harvest not what we're supposed to be raising. One more. Another very sneaky weed that can look like wheat is just a generic kind of spirituality that sounds Christian, but really it's just basically following my own heart and following my own feelings and putting some Jesus sort of religious language in it. This is your friend who is always talking about his or her journey. And... Uh, how they're growing on their journey, where they're being led. It sounds very Christian, but if you pay attention, where they're being led on their journey like isn't toward their spouse, isn't toward their kids, isn't toward Christ's church, the bride. They're growing and being led toward a whole bunch of stuff that God told us in here to stay away from. It can sound very Christian. But it's weedy. It's just sort of this not quite Christian mysticism that's very popular. Right? And it's, just, it's just somebody going by their own gut feeling and trying to make others believe it's God that's leading them instead of their desires. Okay. So concept... Number two is that the weeds can look like wheat. All three of those things can look very, very Christian. Concept number three, and I'm skipping to the end, I'm taking this out of order, is that Jesus will be the ultimate weed puller. The divine herbicide is coming. When Jesus was alone with his disciples, he told the parable of the weeds and the wheat publicly. They get get alone and the disciples are like, can you run that by us one more time? And most of what he says is a way to comfort the disciples of knowing someday you're not going to have to worry about the weeds. I am going to pull all the weeds or order that they be pulled and they'll be dealt with. Jesus is the ultimate seed cleaner. Okay? All of his grain is going to be brought in. None will be left behind. Everything else that's weedy will be burned up. I think he's teaching us, we don't have to be bent out of shape too bad. And I need to remember this one. We don't need to be bent out of shape too bad by the so-called success of the false, te- of false teachers. God says, nobody's going to get away with anybody. Their time is coming. So what do we do in the meantime? Here's where we've been so far. And it's all the setup for what comes next. Concept one, weeds happen. 
We're not going to get away from false teaching, false ideas, false Christians, false whatever showing up in our church and around Christianity in general. And it's really hard to tell sometimes whether something's a weed or something's a wheat, especially until the fruit pops out later. And third, praise God that Jesus is going to come back and clean all that stuff up someday. But what do we do now while we're waiting for him to return? That's what I want to talk to you about for the rest of our time. It's a concept I'm calling. We've got to be careful while we're being careful. The New Testament, hear me say this before you hear me say what I'm about to say. The New Testament commands us in basically every book to wash out for false teaching. Be careful what you're listening to. Be Berean about things. That's where we get our name. We search the scriptures to see if what is being taught to us is so, is legit. Watch out for yourself and others. But the first time... Well, when Jesus begins to teach his disciples about false teaching, he tells them, but you've got to watch out while you're watching out. You've got to be careful while you're being careful. You can do more damage than good. Here's how he does this. And this is the part I think that the disciples were asking him to clarify. Verse 28 He says that there's weeds out there. An enemy has done this. So the slaves reply, do you want us to go out and pull all those nasty weeds and get them out of your church? If if we were the original audience, we had never heard this story before. And I stopped right there after verse 28. The slaves asked the Lord, do you want us to go pull all those weeds? How would you have guessed that Jesus would have answered that? I think I would have thought Jesus would say, yes, get out there and pull those weeds. But it's not what he says. He says, yes, they're weeds. Yes, the enemy planted them. Yes, they're growing amongst the wheat. But do I want you to pull them? No. Because you guys will get it wrong. Because when you're gathering the weeds, you're going to do as much damage to the wheat as you do to the weeds. He says, let's let both grow until the harvest. Is that interesting? Or am I the only one that finds that interesting? I think this is what the disciples are like. Will you run that one by us one more time? You're just going to let this stuff grow. And then Jesus, when they ask about it, Jesus says, I'm the weed puller. I'll punish the weeds. I'll get it right. You guys have to be careful. He's already warned us. Watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They're actually wolves. Here, they look like wheat. They're actually weeds. Watch out. Be careful. But today he teaches us, be careful while you're being careful. Later in the New Testament, it's important that especially church leaders... Pay very close attention to what's being taught. And later in the New Testament, we will get some weed-pulling teaching, actually. But that's a sermon for a different day. Here's what Jesus wants his disciples to know. Be careful while you're being careful. Because we have to remember our purpose. And here's the best news of all. 
Jesus can turn weeds into wheat. Here's where the parable breaks down. Right? In a wheat field, if something starts as a weed, I'm pretty sure it's going to end as a weed. But in life, we all start out as weeds. And Jesus turns some of us into wheat. It's part of his harvest. And here's where I remind you again of our mission. Our purpose is to see God glorified by examining the scriptures so we can equip each other to evangelize the lost. Okay? So if we're doing our purpose and we're constantly bringing unbelieving people into our church or people that are just barely brand new to the faith, guess what unbelieving people have? Weediness. They have bad ideas about God and who He is. They have bad theology. They have bad um, things they've been taught. Guess what people who are new in the faith have? Bad theology, bad spirituality, bad habits, bad ideas about God, bad ideas about who Jesus is and why He came, and all kinds of stuff. Our mission field... You ever wonder why it's called a mission field? Now you know. This is the field. Our field will be weedy always. Always. If it's not, we're not doing our purpose. As long as we're bringing new folks, they're going to bring their weediness with them. And we get weedy also. That's why we got to be careful while we're being careful. We got to watch ourselves while we're watching out for false teaching and false spirituality and all that stuff. Our job, our purpose means our main objective must be to plant what is true more than our objective is to rip out what is false. We have got to plant what is true more than we try to rip out what is false. You ever read the bag of a the back of a bag of lawn fertilizer. It's great reading. I highly recommend it. Here's what they will tell you. The best defense against weeds is, guess what? A healthy lawn. Right? You ever have a, a, a patch of lawn that doesn't have any grass? You can kill the weeds all you want. What's going to happen? They're going to come right back until you what? Get some healthy growth there. We have got to plant what is true more than we try to destroy what is false. Or we will do more damage than good. Rachel and I were driving recently. We listened to a sermon uh, from Tim Keller. It wasn't on this topic. But he talked about there being ways to defend the truth that actually distort the truth. Or maybe there are ways to defend the truth that actually harm our purpose. I just want to read you part of what he said. He said, and I quote, It's very easy to condemn someone in such a way that you just raise their defense mechanisms up so high there is little chance they will ever repent. It does glorify God to tell the truth about sin and error but it glorifies God more if the person you're telling it to actually repents. 
And if you condemn a person in such a way that it makes it nearly impossible for that person to repent, you're self-righteous. You're not on God's side because you're not a vehicle for God's grace. Because after all, in John 3.17, Jesus said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. To put it in today's context, there are ways to pull weeds that don't fit our purpose to glorify God by equipping saints and saving the lost. There are ways to pull weeds that is much more about me holding weeds up like so many scalps and saying, look at all these weeds I found. I found these weeds and they're not growing around here. Because there are ways to pull weeds that are much more about showing that I am smart than it is helping that person become more like Jesus. There are ways to point out error that do not fit with our purpose. That's why we've got to be careful while we're being careful. When the error police take root in a church, again, some of us will think of churches when I begin to describe this. If you have ever been a church, in a church where the error police, the weed pullers are, are, are sort of the, the main, a main faction of the church, that church gets frozen and it goes nowhere because it freezes everybody into fear. Nobody wants to do anything. You know why? Because I'll screw up. I know, I know who I am. I won't do this perfectly. I don't know the Bible as well as, as you know, the people in the... I can't do anything. Because if I screw up, I'll get humiliated. Before long, you only have a few people who are ever deemed adequate, qualified, anything to do anything. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. To the Galatians, Paul wrote this, listen, we've got to watch out for false teaching. I don't want to read that yet. We've got to watch out for false teaching. And if I don't tell you when you're entangled in the weeds, I don't love you. If I just let you continue down a path that I know is going nowhere positive, that's a lack of love on my part. I'm putting your acceptance of me above the truth. But how we go about trying to pull that weed is important. Paul told the Galatians how to do it. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, if they're caught in the weeds... You who are spiritual, restore such a one, how? In a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, either tempted to get involved in what they're uh, involved in or tempted to think you're better. Bear, get in there and bear that person's burden with them and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, if anyone thinks he's better in a measurable way when he's not, that's what Paul just said, he deceives himself. Here's how this goes down in many churches, two that I've been a part of. Brethren, if someone's caught in any trespasses, 
It's you who are knowledgeable get to be the weed pullers. You who know the most of this book and can win the Bible trivia game. So I can pull out the verses that I can control you with. But spiritual and knowledgeable are not the same thing. If I'm spiritual, I'm led by the Holy Spirit who always seeks to glorify Christ and the gospel. Always. When correction is needed, I would take somebody who's prayerfully spiritual more than I'd take somebody who's incredibly knowledgeable but not spiritual. Because we can do more damage than good when we start yanking stuff out by the roots. So where does this passage leave us? First, there will be weeds in the wheat. We've got to be careful. We've got to protect biblical truth. We've got to watch our friends and our loved ones and our brothers and sisters in Christ and make sure what they're following is straight. But we've got to remember that Jesus will take care of the punishment ultimately and he can turn weeds into wheat. Our purpose is to plant what is true more than it is to uproot what is false. We want to help somebody strengthen the good parts so that the bad parts start to dissipate. And then we have to watch ourselves while we're watching out for others. Be careful while we're being careful. Remembering our purpose to glorify God by edifying and winning people to Jesus. So here's the truth. Praise, Jesus said, I'm going to let the weeds and the wheat grow together. Were you surprised by that? Praise God that's the truth. Because I'm here to tell you, if it wasn't, if Jesus said we're going to uproot everything that's wrong and throw it into the fire, every single one of us would have been sprayed with the divine roundup a long time ago. There's not one of us that wouldn't have been ripped up by the roots and thrown into hell. But praise God, Jesus continues to clip some of the weediness and encourage and strengthen what looks like him. That's why we need to be careful while we're being careful. Stick to our purpose. Glorifying him by doing what is biblical to strengthen one another to do the ministry of Christ that this world needs. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you decided in your sovereignty and your providence to let the weeds grow alongside the wheat. Because if you hadn't, this place would be all weeds and no wheat. We would have all been sprayed a long time ago. Thank you that you can turn the weeds into wheat. God, encourage proper growth in us. Help us see the errors that we are following and then help us to warn gently, to rebuke softly, to love enough to say something, but to say it in a way that the people who need correction understand we want what is best for them more than we want to look smart for ourselves. We love you, Lord. Thank you for saving weedy folks like us. We pray this in Jesus' name.